Ag State of Mind, Episode 3. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Ag State of Mind. I'm your host, Jason Meadows. Today is a special day on the program for me. I get to talk to a friend, a neighbor, and a mentor of mine. Carrie Portell is a partially disabled rancher and also a national speaker who goes around to and speaks to whoever wants to hear her story. She has an incredible story. Um, in 2010, Carrie was severely injured in an auto accident. She was hit head on by a drunk driver. So we talked to her a little bit about that, about her road to recovery and how it changed her life and how being involved in agriculture as both a producer and a speaker has helped her grow. As I mentioned, Carrie is a close friend of mine and she's been a huge influence on the work I've done so far and also uh, the work I hope to do going forward. She is a friend and an incredibly inspiring human. Um, I'm glad to know her. She lives just down the road from me. So uh, I'll go on probably say that she'll be other than maybe if I decide to have my wife on someday, she'll be the closest in proximity guest to me on the show. So uh, it's pretty exciting for me. So I hope you all enjoy our conversation today and hope you can take something from it. Welcome to the show, Carrie. Thank you. So first, what I want to do, um, I, I know there's several people who are familiar with your story, familiar with um, what you've been through, but something I want to talk about is, is who was Carrie before the accident? Who was Carrie before your life changed for, I guess, a lack of a better word? Yeah. Oh, man, I've thought about her <laughs> before. <laughs> Because there, that car crash is definitely a big niche in my timeline. So there is pre-carry and then there's post-carry. Um, I think about before all this happened, um, I honestly remember over and over and over again asking God to show me a way to slow down. Because I, I mean, I was going 90 to nothing. I had, you know, four young kids. Um, I had just closed my photography studio and went back to the medical field so that I could have a, I guess, a more routine work schedule. And I just could not figure out how to slow down. And it, it that, that is my natural personality. Um, I grew up with two parents who did the same thing. And I guess I just inherited that. I like work, but I knew that I needed to slow down. And I have a pretty, tech, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. X-ray tech. Um, I went back, actually, I went back to school that year before my car crash as well for MRI. So when I went back to work, I did both. I did X-ray and MRI in a small clinic in Rolla. That's right. I, I remember that now I, you know, so much has happened since then. And I, I forgot that you were doing that. So, uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of remember you doing that a little bit, but it, uh, you know, like I said, there's so much has changed that, uh, you know, you probably, you know, feel like that was a different person as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it seems like a lifetime ago. 
but yet whenever I think about certain things, boy, it can take me right back to, you know, being right in the moment. Right in the moment as in being carried before the, before the crash? Like, or? Uh, no, I guess like during my recovery, like uh-huh. certain, certain memories, I can be right back there in an instant. Right. Right. Okay. So obviously we've all, or not all of us have heard it, but a lot of us have heard the story, but I'd still like for you to take the opportunity to tell us and share us with us here what what happened, what changed you, what was it that was the turning point for you? Um, the turning point for me was uh, December 29th, two thousand and ten. So it's coming up on nine years that I was coming home from that X-ray job, and I needed to go teach a Zumba class in Cuba, and our four kids were all home together and December 29th is Christmas vacation and you having four children pretty close in age, you realize that just means there's going to be utter chaos and, and irritability and fighting between siblings. So, um, I told my two middle children, I'm like, Hey, you guys need to come with me to, you know, kind of split up the chaos. And, uh, sometimes they needed babysitters, you know, at Zumba. So I said, you, you two come with me and, and, uh, you know, just in case, And then eight minutes down the road, we were in a four-vehicle car crash uh, hit by a drunk driver. Wow. Um, How old? Tell tell me, how many kids were with you again? Um, Our two middle kids were with me. Two middle kids were with me. The oldest and the younger. Okay. And how how old were they? They were 10 and 12. 10 and 12. Yeah. And I think, you know, when they think about the car crash, like in their mind, they're they remember it as 10 and 12 year olds. So I don't, I don't know if that ever changes. Right. Right. Huh? So what do you mean? You don't know if that ever changes for them. Um, do they see it as, as they are still children? They do, they, are they not able to see it from their more closer to adult point of view? You know, that was nine years ago, you know, and they're both almost adults. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. Um, I think maybe, maybe I use the wrong word. Maybe, how they feel about it emotionally, emotionally, when those memories comes up, it's always going to feel, uh, the way it was when they experienced it in 12 year olds. I think as they get older, they, they do see things a little more clearly, you know, at that young of an age, you just don't quite understand the full capacity of how close we were, you know, to not being on this earth anymore, but just emotionally, like they're, their hearts just, um, I mean, they just seize up whenever they talk about it. So do you, do you have any real recollection of, of the crash itself? Um, I was knocked out on impact. Okay. Oh, the, the, the last thing that I can remember was I was staring straight into his headlights. And I mean, I, my memory is I screamed at the top of my lungs and I said, Oh God, and, um, the girls remember me screaming as well. And that was the last thing that I can remember is looking to his headlights. I screamed and I 100% remember like accepting that I was not going to make it and begging that my girls would, would be saved, would be spared. Wow. That's, uh, you know, kind of a, I guess, life before your eyes type of moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they say your life lasts before your eyes, but 
Like I didn't have time for that. I was sure, like, right. yeah, what can do. we do about it? Yeah. Like I had I, one accept and then I was like, what can we do about it? And then I was like, this is going to happen and please save my girls. Yeah. You, uh, mom kind of kicked in there really, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like in that moment, there's no selfish tendency whatsoever. It's like, I guess you do that trading thing. Hey, if this is going to happen, can you take me? Just leave my kids. It's one or the other, of course, you know, I think, yeah, you know, given the situation, um, Obviously, nobody wants to be in that situation. But I think given the situation, you or your kids, obviously, you want it to be you. So uh, I think any parent can kind of see it from that point of view. So what is the next thing you remember? What do you remember? Do you remember them pulling you out of the crash? Do you remember waking up in the hospital? What what is Um, it? So I had lights and then then what? Yeah, yeah. I remember the girls yelling at me saying just over and over and over again, mom, please wake up, please wake up. Mom, are you okay? And I, I remember kind of waking up going, what the heck, what, what is going on? And then like in that very next instant, it was like, oh my gosh, this, this happened. And I remember this is so weird, very specifically, I was looking out my driver's side window and I asked myself, you know, like everything's in your head. I was like, why is there grass like right at the edge of my window? I'm like, that's kind of weird. And it's, it's so, it's very odd how your, your mind's working, you know, in that situation. Um, and later I realized we had actually ended up turned around backwards and I was right beside uh, the railroad tracks that were built up, you know, so that's why the grass was that high. And my very next question was, why can I only see in black and white? Oh my gosh. So yeah, my color vision had left whenever I, whenever I looked um, to my left side, but when I looked to my right, I couldn't see anything. So my, my right side of my brain, I guess, wasn't working correctly. I couldn't see out of my right eye and I could only see black and white out of my left. And then my very, very next thought was, okay, girls, are you okay? And I just kept telling them like, you got to calm down, calm down, call 911. And uh, when they got done with the 911 call, I said, okay, you need to call dad. And then after that, I really, I mean, I really don't remember hardly anything um, during the whole extrication part. I don't remember the girls getting taken out at all. I do remember the paramedic that was beside me because he just kept talking to me the whole time. Um, and it, for some reason, I always remember him uh, calling me baby. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> baby, you got to hang on. And, uh, you know, why those weird moments stick in your head? It, it's crazy. But, you know, I mean, you know, it's probably kind of a testament to what, you know, he was able to do. You know, who knows if he wasn't comforting, you know, talking to you in a comforting way, you know, how much harder it would have been. I mean, already it was hard enough. And, you know, it's kind of a testament to. Yeah. Do you have do you have a relationship with that guy, that that EMT or paramedic? Do you know him? Um I don't know him. Um, surprisingly, I don't, because I think I knew everyone else who was on the scene. I, for a long time, I thought this guy must have been an angel or something because I could not find him. Nobody knew who he was. Um, and I finally got a hold of someone and I was like, you have to find out who this person is. Because right now my mind's like saying this isn't a real person. And um, they did. They found out who the person was. 
and he had actually moved away, I think, to Fenton. So then, then we were able to get into contact and I was able to tell him personally what a difference he made in, I think, how I reacted during that. Um, just because he was very firm with what he needed me to do. And I think, you know, he's like that because he needed to get through that fog, that shock that was in my head. But yet he was, you know, he was that compassion and I'm here for you. I'm going to take care for you, you know, and that kind of stuff. Wow. Wow. What a, I mean, what a, I mean, obviously there's a terrible thing that you went through, but you know, it sounds like you had all the right people there at, at the right time. So that kind of segues into what I want to talk about next. And it's to talk about, first of all, what, what injuries did you come away with? And what was your recovery process? Look, what did that look like? What was, what, what was involved in that? My, I had three injuries that were severe. I mean, the others were, you know, they healed with time um, and that kind of stuff. But, but the three that have really caused me the most fits and uh, has, I hate saying it, but it has partially disabled me because I don't think about I guess I don't think of myself as being partially disabled, but yet like working in the medical field, I know that I am, but my, uh, both of my lower legs were crushed and my pelvis was broken and it took me the next four years before my surgeon, I had two surgeons to say, you know, Carrie, this, this is it. You know, there's, there's really nothing more that we can do. This is, you know, you recover to the best of your ability, come back, you know, only if, if things start to deteriorate. And I did, I went back twice. I had two more surgeries. Um, after that, uh, I think the fifth and sixth year I each had one. Uh, so it was, I mean, it felt like forever, you know, and you know, my, my pre carry, uh, before the car crash, my mind was still wanting to be busy and say that I could do things. And I couldn't do any of that for four years. I mean, that's forever to be asked to say, you know, can you sit and be patient and just heal? But for four years, <laughs> I mean, who? Yeah, I mean, to see the what what you've done now, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And but to think of you in that capacity and having to sit and go through these surgeries after surgeries for you know, like you said, four years is you know, for somebody who knows you personally, like I do, um, it's hard to even imagine you like that now because of the way that you have, you have recovered. And I think that's a, you know, that's a testament to you as an individual and as your, um, as your, your, your strength, your will to, to do something to make a difference. Because I think when somebody goes through something like you did, it can go one of two ways. And, the first way, and I think the, I don't want to say the most common, but the mo the way most people think of it is, you know, you had something bad happen to you and you're just going to throw in the towel. You know, I got dealt a bad hand and I'm going to have to just deal with it. And, you know, this is just the life, the way life is. Um, but that wasn't you. You went the other way. You, you refused to be a victim. And, I just can't tell you how much that means to to me, to people around you, and even people who don't know you, just people who you reach and who you influence, to know that, you know, you had a bad thing happen to you, and you made the absolute best out of it. Um, 
So I, I, I kind of want to talk about that and what, what kept you going? What kept you, you know, wanting to, to, to be the person you've become now? Um, I, well, one, I appreciate that assessment very much. Um, I agree 100% that a lot of time when something like this happens, people like to take the road of being angry and bitter and blame and the whole why me type attitude. And, you know, I, I remember waking up in the hospital and at least I don't remember it. I never had a single thought like that. And you know, I make a joke of, you know, maybe it was the Dilaudid that made me wake <laughs> up so happy and, <laughs> <Don't do it. laughs> you know, and, yeah. um, but a, a lot of it, I mean, I remember there when my surgeon came in and I, I specifically remember him standing at the end of my hospital bed and, and my husband was beside me and he was giving this prognosis that, you know, in, in no better words, it just kind of sucked. And, I remember thinking, okay, um, I, I hear what you're saying, but can you at least let me try? And that was my trauma surgeon. And he was phenomenal. He's like, absolutely. He's like, you try as hard as you want to, um, just let's not, you know, injure yourself any further. And I think for me, I looked at my four kids and I thought I cannot let them down because if I give up, then that gives them, I, I was afraid in their minds later as they grew up that that would give them permission to give up on their life as well. And I thought, well, if I handle this the right way, then that means everybody around me will hopefully handle it the right way. And those are very conscious thoughts. Like I cannot tell you how much the emotional side of this recovery was just as hard as physically recovering. Yeah, that's something I want to talk about a little bit because obviously this this is a podcast that deals with with mental health and um, did, you say you you didn't have any thoughts of becoming a victim like we talked about, but I mean you had to struggle with doubt, right? I mean you had to you had to want to give up at some point, right? Yeah, yeah. There were certain. Um there were certain times, like I think it was around five to six months after, you know, after my car crash and um, I was still in my living room. Like I hadn't been able to move back in my bedroom yet. Right. And the pain was, yeah, still so atrocious that I remember thinking, you know, maybe it would just be easier if I didn't try to walk because that was my whole goal was, um, I want to walk again. They're, they're telling me I'm probably not going to be able to, to do this, but that was my, that was my end goal. And gosh, dang it. It was hard. Um, I mean, I had nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do all day because it hurts so bad to even move, but your mind is still living like the way that you used to. Yeah. And it, it just drives you crazy. Yes. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine. I, I, I honestly, I mean, the pain and the injuries that you went through were bad enough. You know, no one should ever have to experience that. But to have a working mind, but a, a I mean, for lack, I mean, I don't know how else to say it at the, at the time, a broken body. I, I honestly don't, I don't know how I could handle it in that situation. And um, I... It just, I mean, I guess just a testament to your willpower. I, 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 
you know, and I, and I think, you know, and I think you'll agree with this, that to someone looking out on the outside, looking in like I am, it's, you know, we, we see how hard it would be, but you, you, in the moment, I'm sure you just did it. You just got through, got through it, however you got through it, just to see the next day. Is, is that, is that fair? Is that a fair way that, that you, you did it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for the, I would say for the first three months, um, I couldn't even take it day by day. I was more of let's get through the next two hours. And that's how slow it was. That's how like hard of a, I guess, path that it was. And, uh, I mean, I talked to myself way too much and I didn't, I don't even think I had control over it. I mean, I was just, I was asking so many questions and it was, it was more like, you know, am I going to get through this? And, and I, I, I always asked myself, you know, am I going to be okay? And I remember thinking, I don't even know what that means because I don't know if it means physically, mentally, or emotionally. I'm like, am I going to be okay if I never walk again? Will I be okay with that? And a big part of it, I, I kept wondering, you know, am I ever going to heal from this? And that was the mentally emotional part. Because I mean, it was, I mean, it messes with your mind when you have that much time and, and you really, really get to know yourself. If you dig down and you decide, Hey, I'm not going to push all this away. I'm going to, I'm going to go through that messy muck of a, you know, the middle part of your journey. And it's, I mean, man, there's, there was some long talks with my husband. I mean, long talks. Um, and unfortunately we had some of them two and three times because I didn't remember them the first time. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let, I do, I do want to talk about Greg because I've known Greg for most of my life, your husband. And I, I can tell you there were times where we met at the end of the road and, um, for, for anybody listening at, during this time when Carrie was going through this, I had just my wife had just been given birth to twins and uh, my life was a whirlwind um, of a different sort. Um, <laughs> I wasn't sleeping. I was losing my mind in a different, in a different way. But uh, I remember seeing Greg at the end, <laughs> at the end of our driveway. I, I, I talk about this in the introduction that Carrie will probably be on this show. The guest that is the geographically closest to me as she lives about, our driveways are, are less than two miles apart. So uh, we, we meet each other on the road often. But I, a lot of, there, we had a lot of talks on the end of the driveway with Greg and I, you know, about how you were doing. And, uh, you know, I, I could see, you know, obviously you were suffering, but I could see the pain in his eyes as well. And, you know, a little, I'm a little older and a little wiser now than I was back then. And I, I can kind of see myself through his eyes. And, uh, you know, so what was he like during that? What was, how, how important was he and, and his emotional and I guess even physical support to you during that time? Yeah, he, he was 100% um, all of those because for a long time months, uh, physically, he had to help me get dressed, bathe, you know, all of that kind of stuff. He had to come home and he had to clean all of my wounds. And uh, I had external fixators on my lower legs for a long time, you know, and he had to, he had to clean those every single night and he had to give me shots. Um, so I wouldn't get blood clots. 
And I think he slept beside me on the couch for three months. And I remember, I mean, I never, I really never slept. So I would stare at him um, from the hospital bed in my living room at him on the couch. And I remember thinking he's, he is so uncomfortable right now, but he is scared to death to leave my side. Um, I've got to let him, you know, go back to our bedroom and be able to get a decent night's sleep. But even at three months, I was still having to take medication in the middle of the night. So he was setting his alarm to make sure that I would remember to take it because I may have um, seemed like I was there mentally um, a lot of time. You know, I would hold on conversations, but being on so much medicine, um, I mean, I would lose my thought from one second to the next. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, he's, I want to say... he was my coach. That's, that's the perfect way to put it. That is his natural born ability is to coach people. And he did not hesitate um, with this situation. He picked right up where he needed to. And he became the mom, the dad, the cook. He took care of the farm. He became my caretaker. And I, I could see, like you said, um, the sorrow, the stress, the pain. <laughs> Um, in his face. And, you know, I can talk about me and be okay now, but when I talk about um, Greg or our kids, like it just, it hurts my heart. Um, That's probably the biggest thing about this whole, whole circumstance is I can handle me. But when I think about what my family had to go through and suffer and watch their mom for four years, just not be the mom that they deserved. It just, it, it literally tears my heart out of my chest. I'm sorry to bring up any negative emotions, but I'm really happy that you guys got to the other side of it. And, you know, our community, our, even our little pseudo neighborhood out here um, is, is better for it. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for, um, for your recovery. And I, 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 I want to ask what, at what point did you realize that you, it was going to be, like you said, quote unquote, okay. Because I mean, you're still live this, you'll live with this till the day you die, I'm sure. But yeah. to know that, you know, things were going to, things were going to be someday semi-normal. Uh, I, I specifically remembered it. It was, um, it was almost exactly a year, maybe a little bit past. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, the, the stages of grief after like you lose someone that you care about, even though we all made it, it's almost like I, I still went through that whole grieving process and, um, it, it was a year and like something lifted from my heart. And I remember just being able to breathe. And I just, I knew 100%. I'm like, no matter what happens with me physically, like I know I, I am going to be okay. This, this is all going to come out. All right. No matter what happens, whether I can walk again or whatever, it's going to be okay. And was, was life easier for you? After that? I mean, were you know, I mean, obviously you still had surgeries and you still have, but was it just, you just, you said you just, you just probably walked a little bit lighter. You just, you know, I mean, like you said, you just had a little bit of a burden lifted. Is that right? Right. 
yeah, physically it wasn't really, I mean, it was a little bit better that, um, that getting into that second year, but, um, it was, it, it was almost like I had gone through an acceptance phase and I had gone through many acceptance phases, uh, you know, with, with each surgery and, you know, as the months would go by and, I think I just was able to stop asking so many questions, but you know, like mostly it's, you know, am I going to be okay? It's like, I got that answered. So then after that, everything else was, okay, this is, this is definitely still going to be difficult, but I, I think I can handle this now. And I don't have to lean so much on my husband um, because I leaned on him a lot. And uh, we had a phenomenal support system around this. I mean, I cannot stroke the ego of the communities around us enough to say how much we needed that support just to know that they were there. I mean, it was, you know, when I finally got to start going out, it was every time they went to the grocery store or, you know, just the text or the emails just say out of the blue, you know what, I'm still thinking about you. Because it was, I mean, my recovery was so long. It's like, hey, you should be better now. And I wasn't. Yeah. So to have that support that entire time, just, um, it was amazing. Yeah. I wrote a, I wrote a blog post about that a few, uh, a few weeks ago where it just talks about how I, well, I remember the county fair. I remember, you know, them having, having the auction, the benefit for you. And then, um, Olivia's hog and it still, still its name still being on the record board. Um, well, actually, I don't think it is anymore, but it was it was up there for a long time. Um, set the record. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but it was uh, several, probably at least a dozen dollars over market price. Um, and I just, you know, right. Right. when you come, when you, when you grow up, and when you are in a in a community where agriculture, where farming, where ranching is such a big part of it. I think that, I think there's a support system there that is unparalleled in the rest of the world. Would, would you agree? I, I do agree. And when I go to my speaking events, when I speak to an ag group, it, I mean, it is my favorite because I can feel it. Like as soon as I walk into the room, I'm like, these are my people. I can feel the community within them. Yeah. And especially when, when it happens to one of their own, you know, like, like was the situation for you, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a circle the wagons type thing. And, you know, it's all, you know, whatever cliche you want to use all, all hands on deck, you know, everybody is there to support you. And, uh, you know, and that's, that's a, that's an incredible feeling. It's an incredible feeling to to just even live around that. Absolutely. And, and be, a, be a part of that because since ours happened, you know, there's been several other um, situations in our community where people then have, you know, needed our support and any way we can ever pay it forward, um, you know, to back to that community, every every chance that we get, we do that. Yeah, because you see firsthand what that support's like. 100%. So, so I want to I, 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 I wanna talk about, because, you know, this is, this is an ag podcast. Um, we, we're, we're, we, we've dealt with it in just a little bit. But I, I want to talk about your work with, with Mo Agribility and uh, 
what that's done for you and what you've been able to to do in that capacity. Yeah, it's um, that has been like the best introduction I have ever had uh, was to Missouri AgriAbility. Um, that was in 2014, I believe, the end of 2014. Um, it was evident that I was not ever going to be able to go back to a normal job anymore. So I had asked my husband, um, you know, what, what do you think about me working the farm? Because I, there was nothing else I could do. And it's, it was there. It was what we had. And my physical therapist, uh, at one point, I remember him saying, he's like, you know, why are you coming in here anymore? He's like, you own a farm. He's like, you can do all your physical therapy on your own farm and then just check in with me every once in a while. Well, you know, that, that part was great, but I was having difficulty, um, with my mindset of Carrie before the car crash and now Carrie with partial disabilities. And I, I couldn't figure out how to do certain chores um, with my new body. Mm-hmm. And I, I was having a lot of frustration because I, I am that person. Um, like I said, I, I love work and I had not had any accomplishments, you know, besides, um, you know, I do remember being very excited when I, I finally got to start like taking care of the house and doing laundry again. I mean, I, I truly was very excited and like that was gone in a flash. I was like done with that. <laughs> I'm like this is boring. <laughs> so being able to have a, a, like a purpose again, and I, I felt a lot like, Hey, I want to be able to contribute and have, I guess that personal satisfaction that, Hey, I, I am able to do something. Um, but it was just at the point where I was super frustrated because I can only take, uh, 3000 steps a day uh-huh. at this point And I have to make those. So I, I can't take them all in a row. Otherwise I'm, I'm out really fast. And, um, the other thing was energy. I mean, I was in so much pain and then, you know, trying to do farm work at the same time, I, I didn't have very much energy. And of course, you know, my husband's, um, main concern, you know, with working on a cattle farm was safety because can't run, can't dodge, jump, you know, anything like that. So we're both pretty stubborn. And, uh, I was like, I I have to do something, you know, and he's finally, he's like, you're going to do it anyway. (laughs) So (laughs) just be careful, think about things. But I, I just, I, I could not get to the point that I wanted to, and it's probably just me being, you know, I just wanted to keep reaching for more and more and more and not wanting to accept that, Hey, this is, this is all I'm going to be able to do. And just by chance, I had actually went to a women's ag conference and, uh, a rep sat beside me and she just, she slid this card across the table. She said, you have got to talk to these people. They will help you. I promise you. And I said, okay. I said, let's, let's do it. And then, um, Got in touch with uh, Karen Funkenbush from Missouri Agribility, mm-hmm. and I, she, you know, she's a little spitfire, and we have become great friends. And from that experience and what she and the organization has done for me, I, I cannot stop advocating for them. I never will because it has made it's made me be able to farm at the level that I am today. So. Um... Uh, you can find you can you talk more in detail about this I think in, in a few other abilities but how specifically were they able to help you um the first 
the very first thing that she ever did was um, she taught me new creative ways to use body mechanics. I, I wanted to do things the way that I used to because I thought, you know, you, you know, you're not strong at that point, but your mind thinks you can still do things the way you used to. And, uh, you know, she's like, you can't lift from the ground anymore. We, you know, we need to build these tables so you can pull bags of mineral off at waist level. Um, you know, things like that, that should be, it's almost like common sense, but yet when you're in the middle of the situation, I mean, things, things, just people don't even think about, you know, and you have, right. You don't think about it because you just do it. Right. Right. So, so she, so it was a lot of, uh, kind of like, uh, ergonomic work, I guess. Is that, is is that the proper term? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She loves the word ergonomics. Um, and, and she'll tell you, she loves to teach that. So that, that was a, um, the very first thing that they said, and, and she's so funny because she's like, okay, show me how you do things normally. And I had to take her through, you know, how I did my chores. And she's, she's also very straightforward and blunt. And she just looks at me and she's like, but Carrie, why are you doing it that way? And I mean, I just stared at her and I'm like, I know that this isn't working. I just cannot figure out something better. And with agreeability, it's like their, their mindset is that they're always working, I guess, with that mindset. So, I mean, just right then she just rattled off a bunch of stuff and she's like, well, you need to do this, this, and this. And I, I, you know, you just stare at it and you're like, duh, mm-hmm. <laughs> why couldn't I think of that? And so it seems like this, the, you know, the best solution is the simplest. And, uh, you know, I think we just, I think a lot, you know, people with, with normally functioning bodies, they just get into a routine of doing things a certain way and they don't even think about it. You know, you know, the old art, the old kind of saying goes, we do it that way because dad did it that way. You know, I mean, for, you know, for anything, you know, so, um, you know, that's, I think that kind of goes just back to that, you know, you did it, you just did it because that's the way you did it. And you didn't, you know, and, until somebody actually came in and evaluated you um, and told you, hey, you know, why don't you do it this way? You know, I, maybe we should all be so fortunate to have somebody tell us how, how wrong we're doing yeah. stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you definitely have to be open-minded. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want yeah, to, I want the- to, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say the other, um, the other major thing that they did for me was, uh, my problems with, with steps and energy immediately. She, she's like, you need a Polaris Ranger and you need a cake feeder on the back. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea really how one of those worked. You know, I'd never dealt with a cake feeder before. Um, and I remember the first week at the end of the first week that I used it, I called her and I said, Karen, you are not going to believe how I feel. I said, I mean, it just took, took it the question of, I guess, all three things, um, how many steps I can use, the energy and the safety, because I didn't ever have to get out of the ranger um, using that cake feeder. I just ran by the bunks and left that grain out and I didn't use any steps. I barely used any energy. And then I wasn't out there pouring bags of feed in between you know, these cows or young heifers who were, you know, trying to bump into me. So is that, and, uh, it that's, was, that's what you're feeding mostly is you guys, uh, you know, I know from talking to you guys that you guys do AI, a lot of, a lot of heifers, um, 
And that that's mostly yeah. what you're dealing with around the house. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We usually, we keep, um, we keep, oh, I would probably say up to 18 to 20 heifers back each year. And um, I keep an eye on them, you know, every single day. So I, you know, they're my projects. I raise them and just make sure that they're really taken care of. And then we have, um, you know, a few older cows that we keep on, on the property as well. But uh, yeah, getting out there and, and, you know, this, this past year in Missouri, like the ground never solidified because it oh rained. Oh my gosh. You yeah. Know? I mean, it was awful. Stop. Oh, it was so awful. Yeah. Like I, I so, truly, I mean, I'm, I, I, I've been around, I mean, I'm not old, I'm, I'm 35, but I've been around cattle my entire life. And I do not remember a winter like this one in Missouri, where it was just pure slop. I mean, what you can't even call it mud, what we had. I mean, it was just like, it was like this mud soup. I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. That's exactly what I told my husband. Um, uh, I, it was even to get out a gate one time and I, I looked down and I took a picture and I sent it to my husband. I said, I am standing in mud soup right now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a completely unsafe situation for me to be in around cattle. So having that ranger and being able to go through that, um, it allowed me to be able to feed and not have to have my husband come home after dark, you know, right. trying to do that, um, himself. So Brett, uh, People don't know Greg does. Greg has a town job, um, right? He uh, he works for Wallace Lubricants, correct? He, correct. So he's away from the place on a semi-regular basis. Is is that is that a safe assessment to say? Yep, yep, correct. He um, he tells me I can't do any farm work on the weekends. Um, one, so that I can rest, and two, so that he can do something because <laughs> uh, he loves it. I mean, he sure. wishes yeah. he could do it full time. Right. Yes. So do I. <laughs> um, one thing I do, I want to talk about this in your selection of your heifers, how with, with what you've got going on, how big of a, uh, how much do you place on disposition in those cattle? Um, quite a bit. They, we really try to breed for great temperament. Uh, especially because I'm the one who's working with them most of the time. I mean, we go through every year and, you know, and there's a lot of uh, conflict, I guess, between, you know, farmers saying, Hey, you shouldn't keep your own, you know, stock back. Um, We actually love it because we like the quality that we are breeding. And we, we know almost almost instantly now how they're going to come out mm-hmm. when they're born because we've done it enough years that we have bred, you know, to the right bulls. We've got the right combination to know that, Hey, these are going to be really um, good quality, not only in beef production, but just being able to handle them because with me working uh, with those heifers, especially every day, when it's time to get them up to work, you know, and get into the cattle shoot, I, I promise you, all I have to do is open the gate and take a bucket of feed and they, they know exactly where to go. And, and most of the time, you know, as long as something weird and freaky doesn't happen, it, it's so simple. They just go right in. And, and that's a testament to, you know, one, how you breed and then working with them every day as well. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, we should all select that be that strict in our selection on disposition for 
for our cow herd. Again, we're talking to Carrie Portell. She is she's classified as a disabled farmer, um, but you would never you would never know it if just just to to see her in action. And uh, we're running a little short on time here, Carrie. But I want to give you the opportunity to speak to somebody who is struggling, whether it be with something mentally, something physically. What would you tell someone who has just experienced something traumatic and they may feel like all hope is lost? Um, When you find yourself in that situation where you're talking to yourself and everything seems very bleak, I want you to remember that that is just a moment in time. It's just one moment. And if you have to tell yourself, you know what, I need to call it a day and tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be okay tomorrow. My attitude is going to be okay and things are going to be different. Um, it's, a, it's a conscious choice, but that, that moment in time is when people make the decision of how they're going to handle their situation. And when, it, when it's looking pretty dire, you just got to remember, hey, this is, this is just one moment and we're going to get through this something my my wife is named Carrie as well and uh something that her and I speak to say to one another we kind of have this mantra that we speak to one another and it's to think with the eternal perspective and I think that's a good way to to phrase up what you just said and you know these even though something terrible happened to you even though something that drastically altered the rest of your life you don't have to be what that made you you can you can rise up and you can be stronger and i mean if there's anybody who's a living testament to that it is you and um i can i can sure tell you you've made a difference in in our lives down the road here and uh we're happy to know you um where where can people find you on online and on on social media um online my website is carryportel.com and, you know, there's, there's a ton of information there. I have a blog. I have some videos, you know, to some of my presentations and contact. And then um, Facebook and Instagram are the main social medias. Uh, it's uh, Carrie Portel, national speaker on Facebook. I am on Twitter. I just don't like Twitter very much. So I'm not, I'm not, not very either. strong on that. I'm not either. I don't know what it is about Twitter, but I just cannot get into it. Facebook is fine. Instagram's fine. Maybe I'm too old and I, I don't know. Like, I'm not, I don't think I'm too old for a lot, but I think I'm too old for Twitter. I don't know. It's weird. Like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, ag, there's a lot of ag Twitter stuff and there's like some people that get into it, but like, I don't know. It just it's seems huge. like a lot of noise. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, I think that's, I think that's what my problem is too, is there's a lot of noise. Um, but there, there is a huge ad community on Twitter. And I don't know if just in our rural area, if Twitter's just not the thing, you know, because uh, Facebook has always yeah. been. Yeah. Because I, I just don't enjoy it, I guess. I'm noticing, like, I noticed there's a lot of people from, like, the I states and from, from Nebraska, Kansas, you know. I don't know yeah. what it is. I don't know. I don't know if that means we're more. A lot of, like, of craft farms. Yeah, a lot of crop farming going on. Not a lot of that going on down here in the Missouri Ozarks. So, um, no. Carrie, I, I really appreciate your time here today. 
Um, this has been really fun because like I said, uh, that you're really the first person I've got to talk to on this who I know, I know personally, and, uh, it's, it's been really a treat for me to, uh, to even get to know more intimately this, your story, even though I, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with it to, to get to know it even better. So it's been really cool for me today. Jason, thank you. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. That was our conversation with Carrie Portell. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes and to uh, please leave us a review if you enjoyed what we're doing here today and to take the time to possibly share this if this touched you in some way and be sure to let somebody else know about it. And I'll see you the next time. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.